0: Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Liam Livingstone is in the England Test Squad. We'll be talking about the 15-man group England have selected for the Tour of Pakistan later this winter. We'll also be talking about Scotland's winning start to the T20 World Cup, some wider T20 World Cup previews for the teams that have qualified directly for the Super 12s and getting the perspective of some players and chairs on the proposals outlined in the high-performance review. I'm Yaz Rana, and with me today is the magazine editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, the managing editor of Wisden.com, Ben Gardner, and our newest recruit at Wisden, Katia Whitney. Katia, great to have you with us. Uh, a couple of quick-fire questions for the listeners to get to know you a bit better. Uh, number one, who's your first favourite cricketer?
2: My first favourite cricketer is Jonathan Trott. Ah, interesting. Um, one of my early cricketing memories was the 2009 Ashes. And I remember being allowed to watch it at the neighbour's house, which is a big treat. And it was his debut and it was a very, very good day.
0: Memorable debut. Uh, What about your favourite ever batter?
2: Uh, A.B. de Villiers.
0: And favourite ever bowler? Uh,
2: A massive Catherine Brunt fan
0: Lovely, lovely. Bit of pod admin before we properly get underway. Uh, We are going daily for the Super 12s in the T20 World Cup. We'll be looking to get those pods live within an hour or so of the last game of the day finishing. We've got a stellar cast as well as the usual suspects. We've got uh, Matt Roller from ESPN, Quick Info, Cam Ponsonby, and then Abhishek Mukherjee, Adya Sharma and Sarah Waris from the Wiz and in India team. Uh, so lots to get excited about there. We've got loads of questions in about Scotland's win over the West Indies. Theo asks, how long into this week's pod does Mark Watt get his first mention from you? Well, here, two minutes in. Uh, and Alfie says, looking forward to a Scotland appreciation pod this week. We will be talking about that, uh, don't you worry. But let's start with the England squad. Uh, they've picked 15 for the tour of Pakistan. Just four frontline quicks Mark Wood, James Anderson, Jamie Overton and Ollie Robinson. There is no Matt Potts. Alex Lees has been dropped. Ben Duckett and Keaton Jennings are both in there, as are the uncapped at test level pair of Will Jacks and Liam Livingston. Jacks had an outstanding summer with a bat for Surrey and chipped in with 17 wickets with his off spin. Generally plays a Surrey's only spinner. Livingston, on the, on the other hand, has barely played first class cricket in the last few years. Joe, what's the thinking with Livingston?
4: Um, well it all feeds into the way they want to play their cricket doesn't it I think they've, they're in this um, kind of fascinating period where they've essentially got carte blanche to do whatever they want and we can't really criticise them because it's all worked so far even though some of these calls do look you know, on the face of it slightly odd he's barely played any Red Bull cricket for a few years now when he has he hasn't done well there was a bit of energy in this room for him to go to the Ashes last winter um, there was something to be said for that but uh, it, it feels it felt like that Ship may have sailed, uh, but not under Baz he's, he's He's back in. A big factor is obviously is his spin bowling, that he can bowl off season. and he can bowl leggies and that English spinners have not had a vintage summer as they rarely do in county cricket. Uh, and they've gone for kind of a bits and pieces. It looks like a bits and pieces a all-rounder at seven or possibly even eight, probably, I guess seven. Um, and then it looks like Jackson Livingston will be fighting it out for that spot i would think i think ben wrote this as well i would think Jax has got to be ahead of livingston in my view just because he actually had a brilliant red bull summer and he, he plays the format is a good start and he's done the job of bowling quite a lot of overs for surrey giving the seamers a break which is going to be exactly what they require in uh, pakistan uh, livingston is a really really quite talented uh white ball bowler but he hasn't done a lot of it in Red Bull cricket and hasn't fulfilled that role so I think Jax is ahead of him but Livingston exciting pick um, whether it works or not who knows but I guess they've just decided it's worth a crack and that's that's the the philosophy in a nutshell of, of the side so far mm.
0: As you say a big part of it is that there isn't the trust in a second spinner normally when England go to Asia we talk about England taking three spinners off to Asia and I know we've said on the show before that spinners don't do as well in Pakistan as you might think and it's not going to be as hot in Pakistan in December as it might be at other times of the year but at the same time you would expect finger spinners to bowl a lot of overs so what do you make of the decision to not trust any of the finger spinners out there in county cricket if you are a Liam Patterson White for example who's been a concussion reserve at points in the summer
4: Yeah I mean he would have been closest I don't think he can feel devastated or particularly hard done by this was a kind of a breakthrough year for him I think that's it if you look at the numbers I've, I've written down here the The English spinners that have taken 30 wickets or more this summer. There aren't that many of them. Uh, In Div 1, Don Best, 36 wickets at 42. Rob Keough, who's a part-timer at Northance, 34 at 30. Matt Parkinson, 33 at 31. Danny Briggs, 31 at 43. Going to Div 2, where Patterson Wright has taken 41 at 28. And then you've got Andrew Solskjaer Lamorgan, Glamorgan, 33 at 33. Callum Parkinson, 30 at 50 there is not a lot to pick from there and you know those bowlers might well say well we haven't had the conditions or the the time of year that suits us and that's a completely fair enough point but england can only pick on what they've seen and they haven't seen much to suggest that they should pick a second frontline spinner
3: i guess it's quite interesting to look at this squad uh in light of the absence of Moen ali who it looked like a couple of months ago was quite likely to tour and almost it seems like in in a way if you put Moen ali in that squad he's like those are the, almost the two most like for like Players to him in the country, in terms of having that sort of X factor, uh being able to sort of get those quick runs down the order and also in overs and possibly in a, in a way that Monali wouldn't control, but these two you might expect to maybe buy a wicket as well, possibly. And so they've almost, it almost feels like they, they had an idea of what the team would look like with Monali in it and he's not in it, but they've gone with the same idea of team, which is quite an odd one, but there is a sort of logic there, I guess. Like, um, it looks to me like they're going to basically pick three specialist bowlers uh two quicks probably one of anderson and robinson one of overton and wood and then jack leach and then as you say with the probably either that part-timer at eight or at seven with folks in the other spot that's that's, that's the way it looks to me with how they pick the squad
0: but potentially jacks at eight
3: I, or, yeah or folks at eight with jacks at seven possibly one of those two uh, that's where Jack's batting that Lions game as well earlier in the game. He batted the as low as eight for
4: Surrey this year as well,
3: which showed showed their depth of their batting as well. Yeah. I, th- I agree with when
4: you look at the balance of the squad, I think that is the way they're going to go, but I, th- I just don't know if it works. I think that's asking a huge amount of Ben Stokes in terms of his bowling and England just can't afford for him to to break down. Um, it's also, if you think of the role that they want Mark Wood to play out there, he needs to be an impact bowler. He can't be bowling that many overs per day and I, it doesn't if that is the way they're going to go I think the balance doesn't quite work
3: yeah I guess I i I'm, I'm, they, they didn't do a press conference when this squad was announced which is a, a an odd one especially because this is kind of the should be the first squad with the McCullum stamp on it really considering he was still even reasonably fresh in the job when they were selecting that Stafika series wouldn't have nailed too much counter cricket and that sort of thing whereas this he should have an idea now of who are the players he likes and that sort of thing but we haven't heard from them so we are having to infer quite a lot I guess one thing with cricket impacts on it is it is kind of unique, at least has been since uh Test cricket resumed there, in that um spinners don't do well. Like I think it, it is worth reiterating that that is it's been that has had the highest average for spinners in the world in that type. It's not just that they're not great, it's that they're actively like not penetrative. But also and it, this is limited because of and but because of how flat the wickets are, uh you do just need someone who's gonna bowl a lot of overs. So it might be they've looked at it and thought actually whoever that second spinner is isn't going to take a lot of wickets. There's not going to be much assistance there for them but we are going to need someone to bowl loads of overs such as pick someone who we know can bowl to a level where we're hoping they're not going to get smashed put the game on pause and then when it's when the ball starts to go which is what happened in that Australia series you got sort of a lot of time when basically nothing happened and then you got a 45 minute spell and the board start reversing and that was when you needed your quicks to be really fresh and I guess that's why they feel like we need to go with two spinners but actually who the second spinner is, almost doesn't matter too much because uh, like, they're not going to take weeks anyway. I mean, I mean Australia had Mitch Swepson in that series. He should be, you know, I mean, he's got a brilliant Sheffield Shield record. He's a, he's a leg spinner, so you'd think he'd be the guy who could break through on flat wickets and he, he barely had an impact in terms of, of wicket taking. Um, so they might have looked at that and think actually we could go with Matt Parkinson and maybe he would be slightly more penetrative, but actually that extra runs we're going to get is the thing that is going to allow us to make... 550, 600 regularly on those flat wickets and that's really key.
4: And there's also Joe Root who's worth remembering I mean he you could even say he's a second spinner above Will Jacks or I think he would be a second spinner above Livingston if they're in those sides I think he might have quite a heavy workload out there.
0: On Jackson in terms of how they might use him his economy rate for Surrey is actually really good for someone who's not a frontline spinner necessarily it was was only it was pretty much exactly three this summer which is slightly lower than I expected. Yeah when I look at that squad I'm like "Who, who are the most likely bowlers to take wickets in Pakistan and I think they would Anderson and Robinson. They're, they're actually quicks and with the balance of the side that you were talking about there, they might not play all three. Katia, one of the more uh, notable absentees from the squad was Matt Potts who had a really good summer. What what do you think of his exclusion after a decent summer?
2: I think it's a bit mad really. Um, I think he's a bowler that could really take wickets in Pakistan and I don't understand including Jamie Overton over Matt Potts. I think that's quite odd. And if you look at what Matt Potts did in the county championship up at Durham this year, it was obviously really good. So I think he's got a right to feel quite hard done by, to be honest.
0: Hmm. I think there's like a difference between what England see Jamie Overton, what he could be and what he actually is. I think he kind of bowls those spells that are really eye-catching not as often as you probably want him to do in Pakistan. I mean, Joe, we were talking about it earlier, but he, n- he never opens the bowling for Surrey, or very rarely does. And when he does bowl for Surrey, it's, it's one of... Six bowlers quite often, and he's really looked after well. And if he's only going to be one of three quicks, including Ben Stokes, and you've got a part-time spinner who's going to bowl a lot of overs anywhere, that's expecting a lot of him. And when he's only one of four in the squad, that's going.
4: Yeah, it, it, he he has bowled, but he's bowled very very well this summer. But he's also bowled quite a few wayward spells, and then they can just whip him out of the attack because they have so many options at Surrey. If England are going to go with a kind of a, a, a four, yeah, four, four uh bowlers and then some part-time spin. They don't really have that luxury with Overton. So again, I think if you played him, you'd probably have to play an extra seamer. He'd have to be one of three, plus Stokes. Uh, and I agree with Kastje. I think it's odd with Potts. All I would say is that we don't necessarily know everything. That wasn't the press conference. We don't know. He's bowled a lot of overs this summer for Durham in England. Maybe he's getting into that red zone and they're slightly worried about an injury. We know what has happened to England's fast bowlers of late. Maybe they're like, well, this is a tour that won't necessarily do him that good. But I, I agree with Kastje. I think that kind of stump-to-stump approach... Quite skiddy, always at you. I think would have been quite, um, quite a good shout in Pakistan, really. So it was an odd one, and it's not having that press conference to explain it. I, I hope they've spoken to him properly because you know it'd be very demoralising for him having had the summer that he's had if he feels he's actually been dropped. I hope it's been kind of talked about as being rested or you know held back for future challenges because he there's no way that he deserves to be dropped after the summer that he's just had.
3: Yeah, there's um, I guess the the other scene bowler as well who. It's I. I actually thought I had quite a good chance of going, and again, we don't know exactly why. I, I imagine it's a fitness thing. Is Ollie Stone, who, if you're comparing out and out quicks, uh, in terms of, but firstly in terms of pace and also just in terms of skill, I think from what I've seen of them both in Test cricket, Ollie Stone is a, there's a gap between him and Overton. I think he's better than Overton, uh, and he could it's have been a, quicker a, as well. a, a real threat. Um, I guess the 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 one thing in terms of this because the size of the squad is the other. I think 16 players is not very fifteen players, yes, yeah, and it's not sorry, yes, that's right. There's not very much for a three test tour back to back on some quite some could be some quite grueling games, especially when you've got players in there who are sort of injury, uh like you have you got you got forty year old, you got Mark Wood who is often going down with one sort of injury or another. Um I again I wonder if it's just because it's Pakistan in particular, because of what the tour would actually be like, especially if you're a like like essentially a travelling reserve almost. Um, where, you know, it's almost like going back to the, the Bible times, like you'll be allowed to see mingle as much as you want with the team inside a hotel, but you will be basically confined to hotels uh, as the tour is going on. And if you are going there with not much chance of playing, sitting in a hotel room or in a dressing room for a month, could be something they're like wary of, of inflicting on a player, I suppose. That's the, that's the one thing in terms of why, why haven't they just taken, you know, six quicks or seven quicks and give themselves the luxury of picking any sort of team they want that's why they haven't I would guess and a second keeper as
4: well I mean I really hope we don't get in the scenario where Ollie Pope is batting three and keeping Wicket because he is, he is their reserve keeper in that squad isn't or he Duckett as well
3: I suppose this is a problem Duckett possibly got- yeah I don't know what has Duckett kept in first class cricket recently not sure. It's quite a big ask, isn't yeah. it? And uh, yeah, yeah, you, you're right. It's a risk. Yeah, it's
0: a problem that England have got themselves into before. With James Bracey, he got he got kind of got into their thinking as a batter, and they're like, oh, but he also does keep and can keep, and that's ended up how he played, and he wasn't very good, and that's potentially put his career further back than it. Otherwise, would be. I kind of think that um, in, into the squad overall that England's record overseas recently is really bad, and also if you'd expect them to struggle in Pakistan. So I, I get that they're doing something weird. The possibility of batting jacks at eight
4: and it feels like every call they've made has been how can we get as money run, runs as we yeah. possibly can and that you know James overton batted so brilliantly on his debut as well i think that probably feeds into that we'll get all our runs and then you kind of worry about the rest of it later <laughs> yeah
0: yeah
2: but as we've said maybe in pakistan that's the approach that works with the pitch being so high scoring you have to prioritize runs over Pretty much everything else.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And, and also the pace at which you get the runs as well, if if mm. tests are quite slow there. Yeah. I guess the other thing to mention is that there's going to be an England Lions squad that's not yet been announced, and England will play a warm up game against them. And it's already been reported that Rahan Ahmed, the 18 year old Leicester Leggy, uh, might be asked to just stay with the senior squad afterwards. So he will offer some reserving. Mean, that would be one hell of a story. 18 year old leg been playing for England.
3: Got a first class ton in the last game
0: of the yeah. season as well. Yeah.
3: If, There's a lot about him. Not, not that I want this to happen. If, <laughs> if things go badly, this could easily be an absolutely like a, a final test eleven for the ages. Like if you have if you have players going down with injury, may, may, maybe an illness bug sweeps through. I'm not sure. Um, uh, you've got sort of players out of form and not really pitching. You could eas- I could easily see. You know, Livingston could open. You could have Rian Ahmed being the the youngest ever Test cricketer. It could could be be really great, I think.
0: Okay, great. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, The T20 World Cup. The T20 World Cup has got off to a sensational start. Namibia comfortably beating Sri Lanka on the opening day and then Scotland following that up with a similarly convincing win over West Indies. Uh, Both Scotland and Namibia qualified for the Super 12s last year, but didn't do that well when they got there. Ben, there's been a bit of discussion on how much of an upset were these two results. What do you think? Uh,
3: I think the Namibia-Sri Lanka result is significantly more of an upset than the Scotland-West Indies result, in that Sri Lanka came into it as actually, you'd you'd expect them to coast through the Super 12s and maybe even have a push for the semis, given how good they looked in that Asia Cup, how much they've improved since the tournament last year. And they were still pretty, like, they they had a decent time of it in certain games, um, so that is a, a that was a real upset, but I, I think what's interesting as well, and the, the Scotland one is an upset, but West Indies are a bit of a shambles. You know, they've left out or they're without what maybe their three best or three of their four best players, maybe for reasons like sort of within their control in terms of not picking the Narine, Russell, and uh, and Hetmai missing the pl- plane, and also you know P- Pollard's retired but still playing. Um, so that and you look at that team, you're actually like that is quite a weak batting lineup for for what we come to expect from the West Indies, it's, it's still an upset and Scotland played absolutely brilliantly. I think what's notable about both of those is how this wasn't, you know, the the traditional style of upset we've come to expect from associate teams at certain points where, you know, it's been like, conditions have been like, like the wicket's been green and a seamer has had an on day or there's been an absolutely worldly performance and it's still been a really tight game. Both teams were just absolutely outplayed uh, like, and, and in, in really smart ways as well. I mean, quite showily so in, in Mark Watt's case. Uh, but in, in, in Namibia's case, uh, they were the 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 death batting was really, really, really smart in terms of they weren't just going for sixes every ball. They realised it was a big ground. And if they were getting twos most balls, then that's twelve and over and you're going to be actually getting up to quite a good score. And you can also do that in a way where the bowling the bowling side don't even realise the game's being taken away from them in a way. And then yeah, with the Scotland game, um obviously George Munsey did play a very sensible innings in terms of batting through knowing that if they got one sixty they would have a chance and then mark what was just brilliant. I mean, uh, and he he's just a, a very, very enjoyable cricketer to watch. In don't terms talk of how, about his tweets. <laughs> yeah, well, in terms of how much he loves the limelight, like I presume you saw this, Joe, him getting out a piece of paper uh, mid-spell to sort of like do his revision on the pitch, which is which is, must be entirely for show, almost entirely. Like he might have had a little bit down on there, but like he knows what he's doing. And then afterwards tweets that what the all, all the piece of paper said was, uh, was don't bowl slot. Which was, uh, which was quite funny. He didn't bolt slot and he did his, he did his 24 yarders uh, and he utterly outfoxed West Indies who were also completely outplayed. Um, I wondered, Yaz, when you were
4: his football manager briefly, did you send him onto the field with written instructions for when he was playing target man?
0: Yeah, I think for, for new listeners, I should probably explain that. There's one game of football about three and a half years ago where what was up front for a team that I coached um, is a, a working deep line forward Good touch for a big man. On those two games, I think you're right to pick out Namibia going for the twos because so much of T20 cricket at the moment is talked about like six hitting uh, and whoever hits the most sixes wins and you can get a bit too preoccupied by that. I think one of the Netherlands players said that in their, off their first game that that they actually got a a lower toes than they should have because they were just going for for too many boundaries. Um, But actually on, on pitches that haven't been great, Particularly with Scotland, I think they just back themselves to win a lot of games if they score around about 160, because that, that is actually a very good attack. And what's World Cup record is is obviously exceptional. But Brad Will and Josh Davey, who don't play that much for them normally because they're Playing in county cricket and and Sharif are really really good and at least had an excellent day as well. So they're a bit like Pakistan actually. That if, if they get one sixty, they'll back themselves to, to win a lot of games.
3: George Munsey's the Scottish Babar Exactly,
0: exactly. Yeah. You took the words out of my mouth. On Namibia, I thought was what what their captain Gerhard Erasmus said after their win was was really interesting. Comparing how they feel this year compared to last year, he said there was more hype and childish belief last year. This year was more something of knowing that we can relate to that level. Mentally, we can relate to that level. We know physically and skillfully we can get there. We went on the field on an equal footing to Sri Lanka. The experiences we had from that last World Cup really gave us a good idea of what type of skill we need to have to be able to compete at this high level. The speed of the ball is more, the quality of the skills and the percentage of execution that guys are playing at is higher. So that's quite interesting. I mean, we always talk about these teams getting more and more games and <laughs> they got more games last year and they're better teams.
4: And their coach, Pierre de Bruyne, was quite punchy afterwards as well, said it was a wake-up call to the ICC and that the associates, I think, what said what it feels like they're sometimes under a carpet. And this is what, even the, the stage of this tournament doesn't get the profile that it should, as Katia wrote a really good piece on this for the website. They're kind of forcing their way to the, to the, into the headlines by making making these shock results and playing some really good cricket.
2: If you contrast Scotland's year in T20 cricket to Namibia, so Namibia haven't played that much T20 cricket recently. I think last month they were playing ODIs versus the USA and New Zealand did tour Scotland, I think, this summer. But Namibia haven't played a full member side outside of... Oh, T20 tournament that wasn't Zimbabwe so if you contrast the different uh build-ups to the tournament it just makes Namibia's result even bigger because they haven't had that preparation and I think yeah definitely as you said it's just such a wake-up call that they do deserve more cricket and, th- and this group stage tournament it's being played so far out of the way of the real not real that's a bad way of putting it but of where you would expect cricket to be played there that it's just a bit of an insult, really, to be honest.
0: We had a question on this, so Rory asked, with supposedly associate nations doing so well against bigger sides, is there any reason to continue with a two-stage T20 World Cup format? More games between associates and four members give more chances for upsets, combined with a slightly more random nature of T20 cricket. I mean, Katia, would you change the format? If you were in charge of the RCC, would you would you change how the T20 World Cups
2: look? I think I can see why the format is the way it is, because you don't want so many walkovers in in such a big tournament. But with T20 being like the lottery of all the formats, it would be the format that would work best to actually have associate nations play more cricket. I'm not sure what the format would be, but I would definitely, ch- I just think that associate member nations have to jump through so many hoops to actually get to the Super 12 stage of the tournament that it's just too much at the minute. And yeah, de- just definitely, it's just not good enough at the minute, I don't think.
4: Yeah, I think there's, definitely an argument for restructuring I wouldn't want to extend the length of the tournament I think one of the good things about the T20 World Cup is it is quite short and sharp at least from the super 12 phase onwards but I think you could just have more teams and more groups so you don't you don't have many more games but you just get through it quicker so yeah and I think there's a walkover in 50 over cricket is a dismal dismal thing to watch because even if it is a complete walkover it takes a long time to get to that point. Even a one-sided T20 is done in three hours. It's not. It's not the same. It's not the same thing. And, and and actually, there's less and less evidence that you are going to get these complete walkovers anyway.
0: I think it's long enough past it. That I can actually say it now. There's a England played Sri Lanka an ODI last season where I actually fell asleep watching it. <laughs> like it was so <laughs> bad. I actually like i caught myself dozing off.
3: Yeah, I guess it's worth. So because you asked, if there are reasons, and I think there are. They're just not necessarily good reasons. Two thousand seven World Cup. Uh, yeah yes exactly so so what one is that actually it's not about the the, the threat of india thrashing the uae is the threat of uae turning over india basically and, and leading to an early exit if you went to four groups of four or whatever uh, and then there's also the chance that like and th- the thing is th- these warm-up games i mean yes they, they did overshadow the main games to an extent um and they had to like really it was only because the main games were good that they got the the that they got the oxygen but you know if you looked at the icc's channels the australia india game was getting as the warm-up game was getting as much if not more coverage than the actual games in the tournament um and and that game wasn't even a t20i or was no that, no, no no it, it wasn't, wasn't official it, t20i no no, no, no and they're, but they're, and they didn't allow spectators in but they did broadcast it and pump out lots and lots of clips of Cody doing rounds and code doing catches chasing that the sort hits thing. yeah it's just chasing the hits there's no other reason for it yeah, essentially. Yeah. And uh, and and the worry of an early exit if you do go to a more uh, sort of equitable format, I guess.
2: But speaking of those warm up games again, the Pakistan-England one, it looked like both sides just really could not be bothered with that match either. So you could even look at the um, the group stage and say that the quality of cricket is somewhat higher. In the group stages, than a warm up game that's not given full t twenty i status.
0: Well, definitely tells how watchable it is. I mean, I think the one thing we can all say about England and Pakistan at the moment, they don't need to play each other again yeah. like, after the last month.
4: Ben, do you agree with that? You'd you'd like a longer series, <laughs> which like play more t twenty i's.
3: Yeah, well, what well, David Willey said that uh, that yeah they would rather not be playing this game, and this this is. Is one of his best chances to get a game, I think. He said that? Yeah. I missed yeah. that. Wow. Yeah.
0: I, if anyone would like to play that game, you'd think it'd be him.
3: Mm. But no, he was uh, he, he would rather have
0: sacked it off. Joe, what's your moment of the week?
3: Uh, my moment of the week was from uh, Zimbabwe's
4: win over Ireland. Fairly comfortable. 32-run win in the end. But it was um, Sikandar Razo who I wanted to pick out, who I've really loved as a cricketer for quite a long time. His uh, speech, as when he was named player of the tournament at the World Cup qualifier in 2018 in which he talked about the ICC crushing the dreams of millions while Dave Richardson, uh, the ICC chief exec, was standing next to him, it was just an absolute killer speech, just fantastic. Gave us a brilliant interview a few years ago as well. He's a great character, but he's also just a brilliant, brilliant cricketer and his records uh, has been fantastic over the last couple of years. He smashed, what, 82 and 48 yesterday, Five sixes. Ireland had this ploy of coming at him with a short ball and he just took it on, kept, kept whacking it. Uh, then he clean bowled George Dockrill when Ireland looked like they might be sort of building a partnership, just player of the, player of the match by a distance. But his overall record, so he scored 550s in his last nine T20 innings, 300s uh, in his last six ODIs. Like he's a he's a proper, proper player. Um, I was reading a piece by those Munda on Quick Info as well, talking about how he's remodeled his bowling. So he had a um, what they thought might be a cancerous tumour on his bone marrow on his shoulder which turned out not to be cancerous thankfully but he did have to have an operation he's had to remodel his action as a result so he's coming much more square on looking very similar to uh Sunil Narain who he apparently has actually molded his action on from watching him closely at the CPL uh, and actually he, he he's started to replicate his style of bowling as well um there's a kind of a Karen ball style thing that he's he's delivering his um so even though he's 36 he's still evolving as a cricketer all the time uh and does slip under the radar just because he plays for Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe cricket has been a bit of a mess, although showing some promise now. Beat Bangladesh recently in an ODI series, beat Australia in ODI in Australia. Um, and didn't make a thing whereas he's played CPL, he's played BPL, I think he's played PSL as well briefly. But he's never played in England. I don't know if there are visa complications, but if I was a county, I would be getting him for all formats, all season. Uh, I don't think it'd cost much in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and his. He'd be a banker in the T20 Blast and I think he'd probably be a good championship player as well. He's got a good test record when he's had the opportunities. So yeah, just one of those exciting uh, characters and cricketers who you don't really get to see on the main stage until these tournaments come along And, and you know, his tournament might be done in two games' time but it's just another example of the talent that is out there.
0: And I guess Zimbabwe's slightly under the radar and I think we're probably all guilty of forgetting them because they just weren't there last time because they were barred from being in the qualifier in 2019 because the stuff that was going on with government interference, their board and stuff like that. So that's why they weren't at last year's World Cup. So it's actually been quite a long time since we've seen them in a major tournament. I mean, it would have been the 2016 World T20 would have been the last time they were in, they're in one. Moving on to previewing the teams that are automatically qualifying for the Super 12s. Ben, we talked a lot about England on last week's show, but there's been some cricket since then that might change how they look at things. Ben Stokes did very well in the power play in their warm-up game against uh, Pakistan, scoring 36 off eighteen, Harry Brook batted really well, Sam Curran got some runs, Livingston got some runs, but um as Katja alluded to, uh, Pakistan weren't really at it in the field, so you had a few opportunities there. Do you think anything's gonna change how England were thinking about lining up?
3: Uh no, I don't think so to be honest. Um I think that obviously Ben Stokes does like to open as most players do, but England will just back his ability to play any situation that comes his way, kind of rightly or wrongly, that might well decide their World Cup campaign whether that sort of that gamble is justified. Livingston uh, yeah, it was a bit sort of scratchy in parts. There were a few chances, but also he did hit one absolutely massive six and will just actually
0: enormous. Yeah. Onto the roof of the Gabba, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: and uh, he'll just be better for a bit of time in the middle. So I think he, he just plays now. Uh, Brooke had a good inning. So any questions about him having had a bit of an iffy series in Australia, they'll be answered. And also, Reese Topley is an injury doubt for that first game against Afghanistan, uh, having rolled his ankle. And if you're looking for a left armour... And actually, he might just be in England's best three bowlers. That is Curran now. So I think Curran just comes in at eight. And then you probably have, I guess, Wokes and Jordan fighting for one spot alongside uh, Mark Wood. And I think that's how they, they'll they line up, I think. And if anything, they'll be more sure of that now than they were before.
4: Do you think as well, the fact that they're playing Afghanistan, who are so clearly a stronger bowling side than batting side, it just makes sense to pack your batting for this game. And then you you might potentially readjust that um if you're playing a side who's got you know a stronger batting lineup and you feel like you need more bowling options but it it, it feels like a a good opening game for them to play the way they want to play with with that lineup packed full of batters
3: yeah definitely and it will be interesting to see what England do when they come up against a really strong batting side because of Butler having preferred that that heavy balance uh that that balance that bowling heavy balance because um like more bowlers doesn't necessarily mean you're better at bowling like you still have to have like it's not like you can have two bowlers bowl the same over or whatever you know like uh, if if those like if, if your best bowlers are uh, you know Curran or the, the three the three best quicks you choose Rashid and someone else like if, if it's Stokes Moeen and Livingston or it's just Stokes and Livingston or it's just Stokes I Moeen do you see what I mean like it doesn't actually make that much of a difference almost mm. um,
0: I guess you have fewer moments where bowlers who might not be quite on it that day or might not suit bowling against certain batters, I mean, it just gives Butler more options as captain, mm, I guess. Possibly, yeah. Going on to like who, who we actually think will we'll get to the, the final four. Katya, have you got four teams you think will progress to the semi-final?
2: England, Pakistan, Australia and India. Those are my four predictions. But I think England will lose. I think England will qualify top of their group, but I think they'd lose to Pakistan in the, in the semi-final
0: and then pakistan, pakistan
2: versus... versus probably india in the final oh, that'd be good mm. that'd be
0: good Let's hope
2: yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, ben and joe what are you what are you going for
4: uh mine were i had south africa going through rather than pakistan uh and i have well I, have, uh, I had i in the magazine predictions i put australia to win it which i feel like i've already slightly gone back on that but i'm going <laughs> to stick with it because the warm ups mean nothing basically I need to remember that uh so I think Australia will beat India in the final and England will get knocked out in the semis.
3: Yeah, I think those are the five strongest teams. I so I'd, I wouldn't beat yeah, I, it, it'll be I four from those five and the others are just a a little step down, I guess, in terms of
0: well, No one's mentioned New Zealand yet. Yeah. yeah, no,
3: I know, but and um and I, I did see one pundit tip them to win it, which I was uh, uh surprised by. I mean they've on paper they've had quite a good year, but they've also just played Ireland, Scotland netherlands and then uh what bangladesh and pakistan tri-series which they which they lost they they yeah it's just it's just not a batting side that fills me with that much confidence basically um but you know there are good players in there they they'll definitely have a say in who gets the semis and i wouldn't be it was totally surprised they'd be the the sixth i suppose at mm. that point
0: yeah. i've gone england australia india south africa i think i think south africa could could do pretty well they're, they're, a, they're a settled side they're, they're balance has to change a little bit with Pretorius being out and Parnell coming in but other than kind of concerns over Bavuma's form it's a, it's a pretty pretty settled side. I, I think I wrote in the magazine I think India are going to win it. I think for so long with Indian T20 cricket they've had so much talent at their disposal and they've not been very good at actually picking the best Players necessarily, or at least not picking the best players into roles that suit their games. And I think they have finally got to somewhere near that. Dropping Rishabh Pant and bringing in Dinesh Karthik as a specialist finisher, I think, demonstrates a, a clearer way of thinking that they haven't necessarily had before. And I think if India have that clarity, I can't really see anyone else stopping them. I think within in that England Australia series, obviously they were warm up, so we shouldn't look too much into them. But I think you could see two sides that, that were that did have flaws in them that I, I don't think India have
3: the the one thing we haven't mentioned the super 12s and with good reason is uh, is Bangladesh um i think if, if if they were in the first round i think they would struggle to make it through uh it's i think i can't remember what the numbers are exactly but i'm pretty sure it's since the last t20 world cup or the start of the last t20 world cup they've played 20 t20i's against four member sides a uh, 22 against four member sides and lost 20 of them um they are not very good at T20 cricket. And I'm you know prepared to look silly when they when they win the whole thing and, and, and Shakiba takes Hatchery in the final. But yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, so some people are saying that given that Sri Lanka and West Indies have lost their opening games, it could be a scenario where both of those go into the group with Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, South Africa forming a group of deaths. But actually, with West Indies the way they are at the moment and Bangladesh the way they are at the moment, that's not that strong. And also, when you have a group that has three clearly stronger teams than the rest that's actually easier for that for a good team to not qualify because you only need to slip up once because that team that finishes third is going to win all the other games if that makes sense yeah I'm just about with you Yeah, players of the tournament Joe do you want to go first uh, well
4: very boring Now I've gone for Joss Butler <laughs> who I was just really encouraged to see him straight back into form after the injury he looks yeah. great um, but slightly more dark horse not that he's that much dark horse but David Miller's looking pretty fantastic got a great record of late if South Africa are going to get to the semis like I predicted I think he'll be a big
3: big reason for that
2: I went with Suryakumar Yadav. Just mm. don't He's really good. need to explain it to be honest.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it tends to be whoever the leading run scorer is, and I guess that tends to be
0: okay. No, who do you think will be the best player in the tournament? Not who the ICC give the award to. Oh, okay, that's quite a different question. I need to uh, I need to actually think about it now.
3: Um, well, I, I think the best player in the tournament will be uh, Suryakumar Yadav as well. Um, so, boringly, but that is what I think.
0: Cool. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I've i kept on saying it but I think Deep Singh if India are going to win it they're going to need somebody to take to do really well You've put ball. a lot of store on thing yeah, Singh I have uh, Similarly I think I think England are probably going to get to the semis at least and maybe even the final and in that case Butler or Brook or Curran Curran's had a really good build up to the tournament and you kind of feel that he's he's never been guaranteed guaranteed a spot in almost any England eleven he's ever played in but I kind of feel now that he's got uh he's really establishing himself in t20 cricket
2: well it's interesting with Curran because when he played in the t20s in the summer he didn't take a single wicket Mm. in england in the t20s in the summer and now he's come in against pakistan and in australia and he's been really really good Mm. so it's interesting that he's come good at this time for england and almost taken a problem out of their hands for them and nailed his place in the side pretty much
4: yeah and even in the blast for surrey uh he was wasn't bowling very much at all he was still working his way back from his injury batting in the top order and absolutely smoking them at the start of the blast it's just phenomenal hitting and we still haven't really we've seen it in glimpses for England but we haven't really seen a kind of massive t20 not partly because he hasn't this is through lack of opportunity more than anything else but I think I I agree I think there's one kind of round the corner from Curran I think he's in for a big tournament as well
3: yeah Mark Wood is the other one like I mean he's bowling as quickly as he ever maybe quicker than he ever has done Uh, the wickets will suit him. He's also just looks like a better T20 bowl now than he has done before. Um, And he will be, he's just so important to England, especially with Durashid not taking as many wickets through the middle as he has done before. If Mark Wood can fill that role well and take, if he's taking two or three wickets a game, England will be, they will be a very, very tough team to beat.
0: Hmm. Elsewhere in the international game, obviously with all the T20 World Cup build-up happening. There's not that much else happening in the men's game at the moment. In the women's game, uh, India won the Asia Cup in the end. They beat Sri Lanka very comfortably in the final. Ranuka Singh took three for five as India restricted Sri Lanka to 65, which they comfortably chased down. It's their seventh Asia Cup triumph in eight competitions. Uh, Next up, we'll talk about the high performance review and the challenges facing counties this winter. Onto the high performance review, you've heard lots from us on what we think. And in the last week or so, we've spoken to people within the game, county chairs and players. Katy, you spoke to Sean Jarvis, the chief exec at Leicester. Uh, we'll hear from him later. But what, what does he think about the review overall?
2: Um, not a fan, I think is understatement. Uh, he basically said that um, the review in its current form will will lead to the end of Leicestershire as a first-class county was his kind of take on it Uh, he said they'd lose quarter of a million pounds um, from revenue from cutting the games and he said that backing a reduction in any number of domestic cricket games is not something that he could back and that would pretty much cripple Leicestershire I think he's a really interesting guy because he comes from a footballing background I think he played a good part in Huddersfield town getting promoted I think to the Premier League a few years ago and he comes at it from a multi-sport perspective of looking, well, no other sport reduces their domestic game to try and achieve high performance. So why is cricket reducing their game to try and achieve high performance was where he was coming from on it.
0: Mm. And he also mentioned that even though that's a specific reason why Leicestershire have, have an issue with it, other counties will have other reasons why they don't like it.
2: Yeah, so he said particularly the problem for, for Leicestershire was the reduction in in blast games because not only is that where they make most of their revenue from domestic cricket games, but their membership is much keener on blast games than it is county championship games, because that's something that Leicestershire actually could win. Um, And he also mentioned about the diversity of Leicestershire as a county, and that being what the population of Leicestershire won. Whereas somewhere like Warwickshire, that has um, a 100-side based at Edgebaston, as well as Blast Games and everything like that, their membership could tolerate a reduction in T20 Blast Games, but not in county championship game. So it could develop into this split between counties that have 100-sides and counties that don't have 100-sides into what they want or what they will tolerate from the high-performance review.
0: Mm. And you also got onto something that is really interesting and concerning the counties for their immediate future this winter, which is the cost of living crisis that we obviously everyone's aware of. But I guess when you told me the numbers, I was I was kind of shocked to, to, to hear just quite how extreme the threat is.
2: Yeah, he said Leicestershire's energy bills have gone up by 850%, which is terrifying. And with like recent events as well, energy bills are only going to keep rising into next year as well. But going into the winter, that number is just as you said, like really, really staggering. And then I had a, a statement from Hampshire's uh, CEO as well, David Mann, who said their energy costs have gone up 400%. So it's clearly something that counties are looking at, and maybe that is a catalyst for turning to more sustainable forms of energy in the future or making county grounds more sustainable.
0: Well, here is some of Katia's chat with Jarvis.
2: How is the energy crisis and the general state of the economy affecting how you're doing at Grace Road? Is that a consideration for you going into the winter and moving forward?
5: The energy crisis, I think, has, has really sharpened our minds in terms of uh, the costs that, that affect the club and also sort of how we um, are a bit more sustainable going forward. So there are pluses and minuses to it. From from a, a minus, it's it's more expensive. So our costs, we, we did some analysis, and overall, our costs have gone up by about eight hundred and fifty percent since the energy crisis kind of occurred. So that has then really caused us to um, look at how we operate from a, a business, from things like lights and heating and all those sorts of things. That I was saying there, chatting to um, one of our, our club partners called Viesman, who are helping us with our, our energy. Not only that, um, we're, we're looking at uh, fuel costs and all those sorts of things. So whether uh, electric points are better and so on and so forth. So we're we're trying to do what we can to sort of make the business a bit more greener as we go go, go forward. Our local uh, council is very green-focused as well, so that's really positive. So he kind of helps us. Um, so yeah, I think the crisis has had, had a, a dual effect on us. One, yeah, it's cost; it's, it's challenging for us. Um, uh, but two, a sharpening sharpening our minds a bit more, be a bit more cost-focused going forwards.
2: Could you just outline for me exactly where you stand on the high-performance review in its current incarnation?
5: Yeah, I think um, in terms of in terms of me personally as a as chief executive at um it is. I think there are elements of the high performance review that are very good, and there's even an argument to sort of say that those should have been implemented years gone past. Yeah, you know, I can understand why they haven't, and all the rest of it, but there are good elements in that, particularly relating to. How we develop our players, and, and and I actually think they could go further. Um, having worked uh, in football, um, having worked in football, you can see how that is a bit more advanced in terms of its elite development. So you've only got to look at places like St George's Park, um, you know. So I think cricket has got a journey to go through, and I think this high performance review is is, is excellent. I think when it comes to the domestic schedule, once you, you begin to analyse the actual impact of that, uh, for us here at Leicestershire as chief executive, then that's going to wipe off a big part of my bottom line. Well, that then makes it uh, unsustainable. So there's, there's no way that I could endorse that or actually vote for that if a vote was required. So that's my personal perspective. But we then, obviously, we're a member-run business. So then we need to have that dialogue with our members, our stakeholders, as to what their thoughts are. Because at the end of the day, we as I as chief exec and the board represent our members and our members' views. So for us, we needed to hear what they had to say. Um, And we held that session last Friday. Um, where they came along, we had roughly 100 people in the room uh, and we streamed it. So we had, uh, I think at one point, there were about 700 people. So, you know, a good number. I suspect some of those weren't members as well, but we gave them the opportunity to uh, to, to have their say. And and the clear messages that were coming out were very similar to, to the beliefs that, we kind of discussed at a board level and coaching level which were um almost a, a rejection of point 10 and 11 i think it is in terms of the proposal which is this reduction of the game um but yeah we like what they were doing in terms of the high performance at the elite level and again could go further um so that was that was kind of the consensus so leicestershire I think it's fair to say now is in a position where they would reject certainly point 10 and 11 and actually want more dialogue on how it could how it could progress and how it could develop Leicestershire.
2: So could you tell me exactly which parts of the new schedule, whether that be the reduction of games, the different times you're playing it, where is that going to hit Le- Leicestershire financially the hardest?
5: Yeah, uh, the T20s, T20s. So if if um, the plan was to reduce uh, from 14 to 10, um, and then you look at the reduction in the championship games as well, once you take all those into, into account and you work out uh, ticket sales, hospitality sales, sponsorships, maybe membership reduction. So you can only base it on... Gut feeling or an indication of what the numbers you you have that would result in a quarter of a million pound loss for Leicestershire, um, and that's a quarter of a million from the bottom line. So that that's something that we just can't um, can't accept. So there are are not fag packet uh, uh, mathematics, but certainly the equation that we've worked out that if we were to reduce it that's what would happen Um and it's interesting once we came out and said that i actually had four counties that contacted me and said uh, our maths are very similar uh one a little bit more and ours were, were at the baseline it could be more than that um so and and i think i think for us as well the 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 issue that we have is what we're seeing is our T20s is actually doing what we want it to do, and that is to attract diverse audiences to our games. Now, here in Leicester, we have a very... I think we've got 56 different nationalities. I'm I'm curious to see what the next census says, but 56 different nationalities based on the last one. We, of course, want to be attracted to all. And what we're seeing is that there is an increased number of different backgrounds actually come into our games which is brilliant um now what happens if you take those away we then go in against everything that we want to do and that's be open and inclusive and so on and so forth so all of a sudden now I'm going from um you know 14 seven home games down to five if I have a bit of inclement weather that could be essentially reduced to three. And it almost becomes, well, what's the point of, of getting involved in that? And that, that's something we can't allow.
2: And where does the 100 come into that? So with, without a 100 team based at Grace Road, that appealing to diverse audiences and bringing in the cash, where does that reduction in blast games sit with that?
5: Yeah, my, my verdict of the 100 is still in abeyance. I've always sort of said, I think you need three years to really look at the impact of the 100 on Leicestershire County Cricket. I can't talk for the others, but for Leicestershire. Um, What I have seen is a real mix. Um, I've seen encouraging signs where our, our gates in T20 have actually increased. Now, is that down to the 100? Is that down to better marketing here at Leicestershire. Um, who knows? I suspect it's a combination of all. But we're So we've had record attendances for the best part of 10 years here at Leicestershire with regards to our, our T20s. So that's really encouraging. I'm seeing the women and girls game mushroom here in Leicestershire. I suspect that is down to the higher profile of the 100, which is great. Now, What I'm hearing or what I'm seeing is that not necessarily here in Leicestershire, but across the board, then numbers in T20 have dropped by about 750,000, I think it is, was the latest figure. Whereas um, uh, the 100 has increased this year by 540. Well, that's great. That's encouraging. And maybe we're beginning to see a little bit of that impact positively on Leicestershire. But I'd be curious to know more, sort of deep dive a little bit on what's happening to the test grounds. Are there um, T20s being cannibalised because of the 100? So I think there's a lot of unanswered questions around the 100 that probably needs another year or two before you can actually really analyse it and actually say this is the positive impact um in terms of clubs like us or negative impact now i mustn't forget that we got 1.3 million uh, as a consequence of the 100 which is again great for leicestershire but at what cost a- has there been any cannibalization in that who knows um do i see leicestershire people backing trent rockets i see a a, a small minority i don't see a groundswell of people actually back, backing them. And I think that's uh, something that needs to be looked into as well, because, um, you know, and, and I dare say this is across other uh, franchises as well, that um, Leicestershire and Nottinghamshire, because of the, the very nature of being neighbours like Yorkshire and Lancashire, just don't get on. So actually putting them together, it's very difficult for Leicestershire people and I dare say Derbyshire people to really buy into the Trent Rockets when it's a Nottinghamshire club. Um, so, or, or based at Nottinghamshire, I, I should say. So I think things like that needs to be really deep dive in terms of of the impact.
2: Mm. I see where you're coming from. I guess what I'm trying to get at is if if you look at the sides that do have 100 sides based at their grounds... Do you see so? How do you see this high performance review if it is would be passed, which you probably won't, but if it was passed in this initial incarnation, how does that differently hit counties like Surrey and Lancashire and counties like Derbyshire and Sussex?
5: Yeah, it's it's um, it's a difficult one to answer. I can only kind of predict how it assuming it got through, I think you would have um, a big groundswell of its members upset as as what you've seen at Lancashire with the action group, upset at the reduction in championship cricket. Um, I think they could probably tolerate a reduction in, so the the 100 venues, probably a reduction in the T20s. So again, I can't speak for Warwickshire or, or Yorkshire or Lancashire but I suspect they would be comfortable with the reduction in the T20s because they have the 100 games. Um, And the members of those um, uh, 100 venues probably would accept that as long as there isn't a um, a, a reduction in the four-day game. When you actually then apply that logic to Leicestershire, well, that doesn't wash because our members, their exciting cricket is T20. Um, so they don't want to see, as we saw in our forum, they, they don't want to see that reduced. So when you compare, say, Leicestershire with Warwickshire, Warwickshire have test games. They have the 100. They have the T20 championship. I think if you ask them what, what could give what could be the compromise to, um, to, to maybe the proposal? Well, yes, okay, we can live with um, T20s being reduced. Now, if you flip it to Leicestershire, our pecking order in terms of the financial uh, generators, T20, then championship membership, what you're doing is taking a big chunk out of our major generators. And our members are just not going to accept that. Um, so there's a danger of an us and them being created in this this process. Um, and that's where cricket has got to come out for the good. Um, and that's that's going to be tough. That compromise is going to be hard to find. So if, if it was to go through, I think you would see, and I've said this, um, the uh, nailing the coffin for counties like ourselves.
2: How, how real is that possibility for you, like for, for Leicestershire? Like if this was to go through, how certain is it that Leicestershire would have to cease to exist as a first-class county?
5: Yeah, it's very, very real. Uh, I think if you look at the numbers that it would have uh, on us, uh, it's very real. And um, for, a, for a cricket club that's been here since 1879, that, that's that's really quite scary. Uh, naturally, yeah, Worse, games worse. It did come through. It did go through. Then we'd have to fight and battle to to, to survive. It'd be even harder, um, you know. And that that's just something that we just can't accept. We just can't accept and what it doesn't make. And this is the other thing to me. It doesn't make sense when we have the ECB saying to saying to us, reduce your dependency on us, um, inc- inspire generations. And attract those different audiences to, to Leicestershire. Well, great. Okay. So the way we do that is really market our uh, jewel in the crown that does all those things. And that, of course, is T twenties. But now you kind of go in right, we're gonna take uh two two games out of the seven, gone. Well, that, that 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 just doesn't make sense,
2: and you mentioned like the long and rich history of of Leicestershire. Do you almost feel like that is? Please correct me if I'm wrong. By the way, like that is underappreciated by an ECB who maybe see counties such as yourselves as financial administrative burdens rather than counties that have produced England cricketers and beyond.
5: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we do. We have a tremendous, rich heritage of of um of cricketers that have come here at Leicestershire either come through the pathway or actually been um part of uh, of Leicestershire and I can give you two legendary gates that the greats that were Yorkshiremen that came here to Leicestershire and gave us a golden period and that was Jack Birkenshaw and Raworth uh to name a couple um and then if you look at the current team well we've got one bowler in there that's pretty good um you know um mr broad Stuart broad and then if you look at what we're now producing we've got a young lad called Ryan ahmed who really demonstrates um the purpose of leicestershire we've got a kid there who's come through a state school come through our pathway the majority of his career okay he was at nottinghamshire but he joined us he wanted to and now he's broken into the first team i've got coaches developing him we're advising him making sure that we deliver his career path and helps english cricket and so it's, it's disappointing that that to a degree is not being taken into consideration i hope it, i hope it does as we go forward so maybe transfer systems maybe you know increase compensation for developing players that, that go on to play at a national level
0: Joe, what do the players think? You spoke to Tim Murta, He's obviously uh, one extreme on the spectrum. Somebody's seen it all. He, he, he was there, what, 20-odd years ago. What does he think?
4: Yes, yeah, so, well, he's 41 now, Tim. Uh, he's seen many county restructurings over the course of his career. Um, his perspective was that if we're assuming the 100 is not going anywhere, which is not, then he doesn't think we're too far wrong he doesn't want to see county championship games reduced he think that's that's counterintuitive um so aside from some minor tinkering he thinks this is about right um, it's interesting the PCA have backed Strauss's proposals because actually it's a small sample but all the players i've spoken to don't seem to support them that they don't that they don't want to see county championship games reduced so yeah i i just think this i've been trying to work out where Strauss is coming from because i don't see how this can possibly pass and I don't see how he thought it ever would. So is this a first effort? Knowing that you won't get this, is this is this the start of some bargaining that that you'll get something close to what you want? But if you go with the extreme version of what you want, then the counties will will take some of it, if not all of it. Because I just I, I don't see, you know, two thirds of the counties have to vote for these proposals in order for them to to be passed, and that's just not going to happen. But Lawrence Booth has written a column for Wisden Cricket Monthly on this. He's spoken to a lot of chief execs and chairmen and people at counties and a lot of whom didn't want to be named, but there wasn't much support. There was some mild support, but they also didn't want to be named, which is quite telling in itself. Uh, So I think, you know, Strauss is a seriously canny, impressive politician, but he's got one hell of a challenge To get this one through, I just I don't see how it's going to happen. So maybe he'll get some stuff, and he won't get other stuff. But at the moment, it looks like he's kind of running into a brick wall. One of
0: his main worries was he thinks his quote to the Telegraph was the players will vote for their feet and start playing cricket elsewhere if we don't do something because they they're playing too much cricket. We're doing something at the moment that just looking into how much cricket are players playing. And looking at the number of days that centrally contracted players are playing now compared to five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago and pre-central contracts, but also the leading domestic players, how much they play. I think the main two takeaways for me are that there's a serious problem at the moment of big name white ball players. Just You just don't see them for much of the summer. Uh, if they get a, itch, like a minor injury at the wrong period of time, they're just not around that much. So Butler played 18 days of cricket in England this summer, which is... You know what? Less than your average recreational creator. Uh, Moine uh, played a little bit more, but not that much more. So I think that is a kind of a big problem. I think in the in the schedule. Uh, and then the other thing was that a player like James Vince, who pretty much played every game that he could have done this summer, he played eighty days he's playing a lot, lot less than somebody of an equivalent standing 15, 20 years ago. So Jonathan Trott in 2005, for example, four years before he played for England, he played 94. There is less cricket already, quite a lot less cricket already. And I was, I, was, I spoke to Sam Hain uh, last week, who had it not been for the Scotland win, that would have been my moment of the week, that conversation. Uh, he, he was lovely. He didn't, but interesting. he didn't have strong opinions on it. This guy who, Sam Hain played pretty much as much as James Vince played this summer. He doesn't, He doesn't, have a strong opinion that there's too much cricket he understood that he's a batter so there's not the demands on his body in the same way that other bowlers would have fast bowlers would have but he didn't have a strong opinion on there being too much cricket so going back to what Strauss said I'm kind of like well how many players are actually going to vote for their feet if already you're not seeing that much of Moeen Ali and Josh Butler in the English summer who are these people who are playing too much cricket and are going to go away.
4: It was it I spoke to Ali or uh, Sussex recently and he was like I just want to play as much as I can. I'm a batter mm. I want to score runs. Yeah. You've got more chances to score runs and he also qualified that with I probably would feel very differently if I was a fast bowler. But Mark Ramkash raised an interesting point in his column for us uh, the issue before last in which he said he felt that the proposals before the recommendations came through Gave a quite a strong indication of what they wanted to happen, so they basically went in with this idea that everyone plays too much cricket, and we're going to find the data that shows that is true. And he raises the point that the data they use, which says that English cricketers play more cricket than anyone else in the world, uh, doesn't use the doesn't take into account the hundred. So now, if you do play in the hundred, you play a maximum of ten games in the heart of summer across four and a half weeks, three hours each. That is not a lot of cricket. So they've kind of conveniently forgotten that when they're doing when they're using their data here. Even though they are the t- they are the best white ball cricketers in the country, they are the ones that we should really be analysing more than anything else. Um, and yeah, Ramps' thoughts that they were preparing the gown t- to reduce the amount cricket—you know—that's exactly what has what has been proven in, in the recommendations that have come out.
3: Mm. Yeah, I guess one thing that it's hard to see in that data that we've put together is kind of how those days are structured in a way. And I think sometimes. Like, if, if if you're feeling something, you'll be able to say kind of what you're feeling, but you won't quite be able to nail down the exact causes. Like, it might not be that it's actually too much cricket as in bowling and facing too many balls. It could be that it's kind of like, like, players have talked about how T20 Blast campaigns have sometimes felt just really draining in terms of that play travel train, play, travel, train. And it's kinda and then so so you might get sort of periods of 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 break, or you might be that just how that's all sort of fitting together means that it is less actual cricket overall, but it might be that it's also uh something in terms of the structure. I'm not saying I have a solution to that. I'm just saying that like like if if, it's not as simple as just if if players are saying something that and the PCA, that is one of the things they said is that players feel they're playing too much cricket. Uh and that's something that comes that that they found from talking to you know from doing surveys of all the players that's it's worth listening to, even if it's even if the solution isn't just to say right, then we just cut down all competitions by this much. The one thing, just to come back to something that Joe said earlier about whether this gets through, I think you're absolutely right that this must just be a a first offer, basically, um, especially considering what we'd heard discussed during the summer. Like it seemed that a lot of the noises were maybe moving to twelve championship games and maybe moving to twelve blast games. Moving to ten and ten is just. It's, it's quite it's extreme basically and
0: why, why not just offer 12 and 12 in the first place if if you know it's going to get rejected? well
3: that, that, that's the thing and, and and I guess they feel maybe may feel this more like to if, if councils can feel they've won sort of a compromise getting to 12 and 12 but it, this does also pit the ECB against the counties in a way that does have a cost basically if they are two sides on a negotiating table rather than a group working together to come to the best solution um that has a cost I think. Also, and the landscape
4: is moving fast, clearly, but is it moving so fast that this wasn't foreseen when the ECB came up with the 100? Because it's a constant thing with the 100 is that often the, the discussion around it is as though this was forced on the counties. The counties did vote through the 100, so you can't kind of have it both ways. What they didn't vote for was the 100, and then two years later, to re- reduce the county championship and to reduce the blast. This is a, a significant add-on that was not on the table at the time. And I'm just not sure that the, the landscape has changed quite as much in that period as Strauss is implying that this is a completely unforeseen circumstance. It feels more like the slow trickle of reducing the county game uh, which a lot of county fans felt was right at the heart of what the 100 was about from its conception
2: mm. i think you have also got to remember that the counties got i think 1.3 million is it for the first five years of the 100 and we're now what two two years in so when the county gains reduced it's going to coincide pretty much with that 1.3 million no longer being guaranteed mm. so i can understand why they're not happy about it
0: yeah definitely we've got it really interesting question actually from one of those Twitter accounts where you can't work out what the person's name is. He says, hello, long-time listener, first-time commenter. I thought I'd pick up on something that might be ignored, the one-day cup being further marginalised than it is already. If it is an FA Cup-style tournament, then some teams may only play a couple of 50 over games per season if they beat a minor county which isn't a given in April. Surely the April format lends itself well to an an eight-match group stage. 50 over cricket has an identity crisis. It represents great value for money on a weekend with low prices and a result guaranteed all in a day. I put my girlfriend, who's 25, through a lot of cricket and took her to the Hampshire-Lancashire game at the Aegeus this summer. It was 180 versus 180. And even though there was minimal boundary action, she said that there was she was completely enthralled by the action and would vastly prefer a return to that than going to the Oval for a beer-fueled Thursday night. Fifty over cricket is much more crowd-friendly, arguably a better atmosphere for kids and parents, it is representing good value for money, and we're still world champions.
3: Yeah, I guess I guess there is a solution to it. The thing is, is that the cricket would end up not meaning very much. But you could sort of do what they do in the un 19 World Cup, where they go to a uh, just go to playoffs, basically, like everyone who gets knocked out in the first round, goes into a plate That's sort true, of thing, yeah. uh, and then you have you know competing for fifth and sixth and that sort of thing. I mean, it's not it's not ideal, and you wonder how much how those games between deciding who become who comes seventh or eighth actually how, how they would feel I guess uh, whether players would care very much whether there would be much of a spectacle but in terms of actually having players play 50 over cricket you know they'd still want to put their cases forward and that sort of thing in a competition where apart from the IPL lot there wouldn't be much else going on cricket wise so that should be a high standard I guess so that would be a solution around that but I do agree that 50 over cricket can be a, a, a really good spectacle and, and that's that's one thing like people are always saying that like the you know the format's dying and that's the one that's going to go and get diminished and then you come to England and there's often really good games and really good crowds and people have a really good time
4: yeah I mean I think there's an argument to reduce it to 40 over definitely uh, and makes it even more kind of fan accessible for a, for a day out um, I'm not sure about this that I can see in lots of ways it's convenient to shove it to the front of the calendar in April but I, I think you're going to get a lot of ca- county fans unhappy that they won't be able to watch that whilst the 100 is going on if they've got no interest in the 100 yeah I'm just not sure this idea that they're going to have the best to be the best but then you're going to have some what, first-class cricket in August, which means nothing. They're just going to be made-up teams or North v. South. I'd, I was spoken to quite a few people about this. I haven't met anyone who thinks it's a good idea. Uh, I think it's going to be some kind of low-intensity, sort of quite pointless cricket that is just to tick a box, really. And that's not going to be fun to play and it's not going to be fun to watch. It just allows them to kind of manoeuvre their way out of a tricky situation by saying, oh, look, we've got this Red Bull cricket in August. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be worth playing, to be honest. Uh In which case... Keep the one-day cup there.
0: Not quite finally, but Joe, last week the new magazine came out. We talked about the list of the best T20 players in the world. Um, but other than that, what is in it?
4: Um, we've got a really nice interview by Jim Wallace with Mark Taylor, the ex-Aussie captain, uh, about his career, about being part of that wonderful Australian size, sort of setting up that way of Australian playing Um kind of aggressive cricket, lots of wins under Taylor. He talks about opening the batting. He talks about declaring on... Oh, is it three three four? Ben? Help me out. Didn't want to go past Bradman, uh, so declared as captain overnight, which, you know, he was kind of heralded for. Mark Ramcash's column is brilliant. So we I spoke to him about fast bowling, about what it's like to actually face it, um, whether he was ever properly scared, the f- the fastest spells he ever faced the trickiest fast bowlers he ever faced. Uh, And then we kind of threw it forward, looking at South Africa's quicks that we witnessed this summer and their place in the the modern game and how they're more valuable quite literally than they ever have been before because of the the sums they attract in T20. But also the flip side of that, how many young fast bowlers are going to want to play test cricket when the riches are so significant in T20. Um, And yeah, Mark's quite gloomy about the prospects of of genuine quicks in, in test cricket in the years to come. Uh, and thinks it might become a slightly more kind of military medium format of a game, which is obviously really, if you're trying to promote test cricket and you lose extreme pace out of it, that's one of its greatest assets, arguably its greatest asset. Um, so that that's a tricky thing for, another tricky thing for cricket to negotiate as it rest, wrestles with its future. And then um, we started a new series called the great and which phil is is doing and this month is the great solo acts the great individual performances when you didn't get much help uh it's a kind of photo led pieces some brilliant snaps in there with with phil uh annotating them and it's also worth adding that this month um we are revamping the magazine so we've got a couple of new columnists coming in we've got a bunch of new features it's going to look different um, we've decided to do it whilst I was on holiday and Phil was in Mozambique uh, and we're doing it in midwinter. which I'm not sure why exactly we're doing this. It felt like a good idea at the time, um, but it'll be great. Uh, the one I'm particularly looking forward to, I've just done the first one, is a new series on cricket parents. So speaking to parents about the experience of being the parent of a, of a top-level cricketer, seeing the highs and lows, being there for the, the big moments, the terrible moments, what it was like with them growing up, how much they pushed them, how much they took a step back. Um, The first one is quite close to home. It's our own Mark Butcher with his dad, Alan Butcher, which was so, so nice to do. Um, I love Alan Butcher. He's just a great man. And, you know, Mark's all right as well. Uh, (laughs) We should get Alan on more. (laughs) We should. We absolutely should. Um, So, yeah, I've got a few more lined up, which I'm excited about doing in the next few months as well.
3: So can you just uh, assure the fans, you've had had a high performance review of the magazine. (laughs) Have have you decided that sort of less writing means higher quality writing? Are there going to be more pictures in there for the kids? Uh, I know our designer would definitely like much fewer
4: words <laughs> in the magazine <laughs> and much bigger pictures. He's definitely keen on that. Um, but I think as ever, it's, it's, it's the best to be best the best. That, that, that's, the, that's the mantra for WCM. And it's, it's the
0: one it. that's not out last week. It's the one that's being produced now. So coming out in a few weeks. It comes weeks out time.
4: in about three weeks from now. Yeah.
0: Awesome cool as always you can go to wisdom.com forward slash shop to get your hands on the magazine um and finally something a little bit different uh, christmas isn't that far away and if you're thinking about getting something cricket related look no further than the wisdom shop one of the best selling items in the shop is the andrew redden collection a collection of prints celebrating some of the most iconic grounds in the uk i spoke to andrew about his collection earlier in the week um be warned art is not my speciality Andy, it's great to have you on. Uh, since we started selling the prints on the Wisdom shop, they've been really, really popular. So we thought we'd get you on the show to talk about them ahead of Christmas. Before we get to the collection that we have in our shop, you do more than just cricket. People watch this and YouTube will see that you've got an Arsenal print over your right shoulder. What is it about capturing sports grounds in particular that appeals to you?
1: Well, it was funny, really, because um, I never I never painted sports grounds. In fact, I'd only ever done one painting of a sports ground, and that was the old Highbury, not that picture, but another one. Um, And I did it because years ago, I used to go to Arsenal quite a lot, and I loved the ground, I loved the stadium, I had a lot of friends there. Um, And it sold well as a print, just in amongst all my other prints. But my, uh, my printer, he said to me, I should do more football grounds. And I never really paid any attention to him. I said, I don't really want to paint football grounds. I mean, I loved old grounds, and I loved what I remembered of football. Um, but I wasn't particularly interested in modern grounds, um, and I painted more, I did a lot of work for the National Trust and people like that, I mean, I, originally I started off painting professionally, because I worked in advertising for a long time, and when I left advertising I first started painting wildlife, um, which was great fun, and I enjoyed it, but the work took an awful long time, you know, it, it's, it's pretty, not photographic, but near as damn it work. So after a while, I started painting more generally, and I painted a lot of landscapes and a lot of old, a lot of old buildings. I did a lot of maritime work, a lot of um, aviation work. Um, but then, with the lockdown, the first lockdown, everything just dried up. I mean, I think it was the same for a load of people. And it was then that I revisited the um, the idea of my printer mate, who said, you know, do some football grounds, and I thought this could actually be just the right time to do them. Um, and not just football i mean i started out with football but the idea of doing rugby grounds cricket grounds you know motor racing motor racing stadiums i mean anything that harked back to an age that people remember people of my age remember when it was all a bit spit and sawdust and corrugated iron and your burger would inevitably give you some kind of stomach complaint it to the football match and it was quite, you know, football used to be really, really edgy. I mean, it was, I mean, to say it was frightening. Sometimes it was frightening, but, you know, I was a young lad and it was great to, to go to all these grounds all over the UK. I mean, I was never fortunate enough to go to a European ground, but, you know, yeah. and then you, it, you really do begin to understand the different cultures and, and why, why a lot of the football grounds are as they are and why the supporters are as they are. So it was not just a... A study of football grounds it actually became a study of social culture really once you start delving into the background of great clubs like west ham liverpool um everton all these clubs and even the smaller clubs as well there's a reason why they're there and i get a bit upset when you know they're quite happily ripped down a stadium that's got god knows how many memories and brilliant matches and, and all tied in with the local lo- local social You know, fabric. So that's that's why I started painting the football grounds.
0: When you chose a club to to focus on, what what in particular would you think about when starting your work? Like, what why would you focus on a particular aspect, for example?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think the starting point is an awful lot of the grounds I visited. So I'll have a memory of it, and and I paint them in the in the style of of really of the old railway posters. A lot of them, you know, a lot of them are quite. Um, um, impressionistic in the way I paint them. You know, if you actually look at them closely, it's just quite a lot of colour daubed down. At least when you stand back and you look at them. But it might be, you know, and it's not that I paint. I mean, none of, the, none of the paintings have got footballers in them. And I don't think any of them ever will, because it's a part of the ground. It's a bit that I remember. And if I have never visited the ground, then I'll research it as much as I can, looking through old old photographs and um, footage and you'll just see something I mean you know Fulham for example it had to be Craven Cottage it had to be the cottage and it wasn't from inside the ground it was from outside the ground because it was you know to me that was that was what it was all about I mean that South London sort of Southwest London feel with the brickwork and those wonderful sort of terrace gates the entrances into the turnstiles and then you've got you know a cottage with Fulham written on the side of it it's, it's nuts really but that's mm. Fulham um West Ham it was the West Ham um members club social club and the burger bar you I know mean, I remember a burger bar being there and, and also I'll pick things out of my past that I particularly remember or that you know had an effect on me. it's like the old man in a, a mark one full Cortina I thought well I'll put one of them in the West Ham picture with a mod because when I went to West Ham, it was the time of the mods. Um, and it was, you know, certainly one of the most exciting grounds I ever visited.
0: <laughs> and you've done 12 prints uh, of cricket grounds. My two favourites are two grounds that I've been to a lot. Uh, so one, the Oval, and then two, yeah. the Grange up in Scotland. For, for the Oval, you, you capture so much of of what people associate with the ground, one quite small image. So what was your process in creating the the one one of the oval
1: well i mean that because i when when wisdom commissioned me to paint to paint the cricket grounds it was a it was a real bonus it was great um and it was something that i really wanted to do but the oval it's just brilliant it's i remember going there as a kid and it was the first test ground i ever went to um and it was the gas holders that i remembered i remember walking along the road and there's these enormous great structures and of course they were still being used then and the tenement buildings, and it was it was it was just a fantastic ground. So I had to put the gas holders in. It was simple as that. And the other thing was pigeons. Mm. There's always hundreds of pigeons, thousands of pigeons at the Oval. So they had to go in. And then I didn't want it as a date, you know, in the middle of the day because I wanted that slight edge to it again. So early in the morning, big match day but then knock that right back with a bloke, just with a light roller and a fag on. Um, and that's the private part of the ground. That's the, you know, to be able to get into any sports ground, I think, um, when there's no one else there and it's being prepared or you really see the soul of the place. Mm. So that was the background of, um, of the Oval. Um, you know, it was just, it had to be like that really. Do, I could probably do 10 paintings of the Oval they'd all have the gas holders in Um, there'd be pigeons everywhere and it wouldn't be during a bright because you always see test match grounds and cricket grounds traditionally it's either really sunny it's in the middle of the day or we're watching the covers as the rain comes down but it's those it's those those sort of secret times those quiet times when everything's being being gotten ready so Mm. that that was certainly the thinking behind the oval i mean the grange i've never been to the grange so my idea there was to just research it as much as I could. But what a pavilion. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic pavilion. So that was mm-hmm. easy.
0: Yeah. I guess that's one of the cool things about the collection is that you don't just have the big test match grounds. You have some of the, the smaller, almost the most beloved grounds actually in the country, uh, like yes. the Granger up in Scotland, Taunton, Worcester, the Parks, uh, Arundel.
1: That was great because I, I, we kind of came to an agreement that there were certain grounds that had to be done. Um, but then I was given free range with the other ones. So that was great. And I mean, I remember going up onto the North York Moors and staying there for four, four weeks painting. And it was the middle of winter, but I'd never been to Scarborough, um, the Scarborough ground. I'd, I'd heard so much about the Scarborough cricket ground. So I thought, oh, is it in the middle of winter? And that was great because there was no one there. It was bleak. But what I always remember was those Great lines of wooden benches. And then the cafe, the tea shop. And then the tenements again behind with the washing. Those are lines of washing going down to the back of the ground. So it's brilliant. Social fabric of the club.
0: There's a great photo of David Gower batting in a game in, at Swansea in the 80s, yeah. which is really similar, actually. like You really feel that this game's happening right in the heart of a town, which you, yeah. which you don't really get very much. And the, and the Scarborough print definitely definitely shows that.
1: It be um, great to paint that. Um, a lot of ruling pen work obviously to get all those benches done and again only a tiny bit of the cricket the actual playing surface is is visible you know it's all about what's going on around it really
0: well thanks so much for your time Andy um, anyone who's interested head to wizen.com forward slash shop uh, to see the entire collection and if you're interested to go and purchase it as well cheers for your time Andy
1: thanks very much cheers yes
0: head to wisdom.com forward slash shop to get your hands on any of Redden's prince anyway that's all we have time for on today's show cheers ben cheers katia cheers joe this has been the wisdom cricket weekly podcast we'll be back for our first daily show on the first day of the super 12s sports
2: social podcast network